Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's the third of three installments for episode 29, and Graham McMillan and myself finish answering questions from listeners on Twitter. Um, as a result, we discuss comic book cliches we're tired of, Spider-Man as member of the Future Foundation, and possibly X-Men, comic book continuity, the role of Superman in the DCU, the box office receipts of Kick-Ass and Scott Pilgrim, the Dungeons & Dragons comic, and much Enjoy it. And thanks for listening. <laughs> if you want to go for comic cliches, we're trying to tired of seeing we should we leave that for later as well. Yeah, maybe we should. How long have we been talking? It's one of those days like <laughs> Well at least we got around to talking about comic books, which I think is... Oh did, did you see all my uh, tweeted declarations that one of these days we're going to do a po- uh, podcast where we forget to talk about comic books? That would be great. I, uh, I swear to God, it's going to happen. One of these days, we're just going to start talking. Right. I, we're going to get sidetracked, and it'll be an hour, and we'll be like, oh, crap. I've really got to go. Shit. <laughs> uh, comic cliches that we're, that we're tired of. Um, do, do you have some? You must have some, and then maybe I can think of some. I, uh, I mean, there, there's all the, like, the, the cliche cliches. So fast for something so big. <laughs> uh, no, do you know what I mean? Like things like right. that, where you're like, "Wow, that was old when I was young." Uh, right. I don't know what am what am I? Um, I don't know because I have this whole thing where I think that any even cliches can be made can be done well. I'm trying to think yeah. of something. I'm trying to think of something that like no one could do, and I would be happy with. Mm. I'm tempted to say that, like, killing someone and then bringing them back. You know, I'm sort of like, I, I'm kind of like, yeah, killing someone, frankly. I, or Bringing them back or no. Part of me is just like, you know what would be interesting is not to kill someone for a while and I, see what you can do with that. I don't know if it's really a cliche, but um, in Brightest Day, which I know you're not following, um, right. Black Manta c- cutting uh, Aquaman's hand off was, like, has entirely the opposite, like, had an reaction as opposed to oh my god this is so dramatic uh, um, especially because he cuts his hand off I swear to god and then he says why are you crying Aquaman you should be used to that by now he actually says that no really <laughs> he really does uh... and that's like a splash page of him saying that <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know I, I really I'd have to give that some thought I really would yeah I think I think uh, I, now I'm just thinking about Black, Brightest Day far too much. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of tired of of the government being in my comics. I hope that doesn't sound too Tea Partier ish. It, it but... does. You're <laughs> to Wisconsin and start defending all those people striking there. Um, <laughs> I, I don't uh, mean I, I'm tired of like government conspiracies. Um, I am tired of secret government task forces. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I'm tired of people like having to keep secrets for the greater good. And I, d- I don't think that's necessarily something that doesn't exist in the real world. In fact, I'm sure it does. But mm-hmm. I'm tired of it as a plot point. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm tired. You know, there's something weird about the, the current state of secret identities, too, where it's like it just seems so weirdly like lodged in between two states where it seems like most of the superheroes like don't have secret identities for their immediate cast 
you know, but do for the world at large for reasons that seem kind of weird. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I love the idea of the secret identity as a, as a metaphor, as a symbol. I think it's one of the great things about the, about the concept of the superhero that keeps it spinning. I just feel like it never really kind of gets used in its classic sense anymore. There, there was a brilliant Twitter conversation yesterday between Chris Robertson and Kurt Busiek uh, mm. about Superman. Did you see it? I, I saw part of it. Is that the one where they were talking about how to explain Clark Kent's uh, two-year absence? Yes, and about the, the fact that he has not found the story hit the Daily Planet for two years, and so why yeah. does he still have a job? Which yeah, I thought yeah. was so right on. Because right. Clark Kent has been shafted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is such a shame because I, yeah, I, again, going back to All Star Superman, you like Clark Kent really important Superman. Yeah, well, and and this is the thing that I know you and I disputed, but I also think that that the Clark Lois Superman triangle is super important too. So, but that you know, and that's kind of a, a classic thing to me in a way as well. But um, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I did you see um, the combined Twitter displeasure uh, with me when I complained about the lack of Spider-Man status quo when it was announced that Spider-Man's joining Fantastic Four. Sorry, Future Foundation? Uh, no. I, 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 I made a comment along the lines of, does anyone remember when Spider-Man used to say, no thanks guys, I'm not much of a joiner? Right. Seeing as he's now on the Avengers and the Future Foundation and is guest starring in the X-Men book with a hint that he's going to join the X-Men for some strange fucking reason. <laughs> really? Uh, oh my god. That's just, horrifying. But it's just like, and uh, people were like, yeah, Batman wasn't much of a joiner either in the 40s. It was kind of like, really? Yeah. I from... Seriously, that's your defense? I don't know. I just feel that, um, like, the Lewis and Clark thing is a similar thing for me. Is in, like, I think right. you just got to accept that. Yeah. That's, no, that's it. That's exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's not the case. And, and so to me, it's kind of, because I felt exactly the way that you did about Spider-Man. But back when he was announced as, you know, joining the Avengers, you know, when, when Bendis relaunched it. Oh, no, I, and I, I agree. And, but at the same time, like, now he's on two Avengers teams and right. Fantastic Four. Right, 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 right. You know, you which, know, which just doesn't work. Remember when he used to have, like, no time to be Spider-Man because he's too busy being Peter Parker? Yeah. Now he has no time. Like, it really is. It's kind of this weird thing of, like, it just doesn't... The, thing, the other thing that drives me uh, crazy is, like, looking at some of the issues of Amazing Spider-Man, the old ones that I've been reading, like, there are times where the editor's footnotes, like, Len Wein has one story set up that takes place, like, the first part of the story takes place before a Marvel Team-Up yes, issue. Yes, I, I remember And then that. the and second Mar- place, yeah. I was reading Marvel Team-Up recently, and he does, it does the same thing. And, like, it plays mm-hmm. it in very specific timeline. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was kind of, it was kind of, there's that weird feeling of, like, I don't know. Like it, I, I'm like, wow, they could never do anything remotely like that again over at Marvel. No, you know? it, it, it's it's impossible because the characters mm-hmm. are bringing too many books at once. But yeah. but there was a point where, like, even when there was three Spider-Man books went on, Marvel Team was one of them. They would be very careful to say mm-hmm. this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. You could know exactly where he was. Right. Um. Even when it was like you know. He would just have a tumble and it'd be like, I really should be looking for a blah, blah, blah. Food notes, see the current issue of a, a Amazing Spider-Man, but I've just been pulled into this adventure. Right. 
Exactly. And so I don't know. There was there was kind of something that just that that always works for me. And at some stage, the idea that that can't happen now, like I don't know. I like I said, there was something when when the the whole new Marvel splintering of continuity, like. Oh, I, didn't I, think I, I, I think it happened before then. Well, no, no, it totally did. But actually, for me, the new Marvel, when they, when they sort of said, okay, everybody's, it's kind of happening in their own books and everyone gets to do their own thing. There was part of me that rebelled. And then there was part of me that was like, yeah, this is great. You should probably never go back. And then when they start bringing in all these universe-wide events, I just wasn't able to hop back on the boat. I'm like, none of this really happens. Like, you can talk till you're blue in the face that this is all happening in the same universe and it so clearly isn't because these people have no time whatsoever at all and (laughs) you're not even making the characters internally consistent in the same book by the same writer much less across five books yeah it's it's kind of ridiculous i remember i still love one of the the few things i unreservedly love about bendis's avengers no matter which one he's writing are his jokes about um wolverine being on so many teams right that is right. mutant powers type management. I still think that's a great joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it. It is, but it's also kind of. Uh, oh, it's completely pointing the, out the problem. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Which which goes which actually goes quite a long way because because in a way there's you know, again I just read you know five issues where they tried to explain why the hell Ghost Rider's motorcycle stalled when it's made out of flame. So you know it's like I'm like yeah it's. There's always going to be problems, and I guess it's how you address them. But, but yeah, for me, having Spider-Man be on any team is just, it's a mistake. And so once you get to three teams, it's just like, that's, that's not the character that interests me anymore. Because he's not an outsider. He's, it doesn't even matter if he's the outsider on five different teams. That makes no sense, you know? He's me. still kind of an outsider. The funny thing is, if he had not been part of the Avengers, I would have been completely on board with him joining Fantastic Four. I think that makes some sense, especially Agreed. especially in the way that Hickman set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he is in the Avengers. Do you know what I mean? Like it would only make sense for me if he joined the Fantastic Four and left the Avengers books. Mm-hmm. As a, I only have X amount of hours in the day. Do you know what I mean? But that's mm-hmm. not what's going to happen. And then, like the Wolverine thing gets ridiculous with the, the new rumors that he's going to be leading one of the Avengers, uh, one of the X Men teams. Because mm. well, he's already reading X Force, isn't he? So no, exactly. In addition to X Force. Oh gosh. Oh, oh have you have you not heard the X Men rumors? Oh yeah, I, that, I think I have heard. Two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's oh boy. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, so wait, you brought this up. What, do you remember why you brought this up? Which which part? Your Twitter displeasure, Spider-Man. Joining oh, because uh, I brought it up in response to the uh, Spider-Man is just a different character now, the same way that Superman is a different character because you can't have the Superman Lois Clark triangle. Oh, it, right, and you just have to accept it essentially. Yeah, yeah. on the cliches and everything. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, that but to me, this is the thing that I think is interesting is I think there is kind of a Superman-sized hole in the marketplace, you know, or a Spider-Man-sized hole in the marketplace that you, that someone's going to be able to, to make. Maybe not at Marvel, maybe not at DC, because of the nature of those universes, where 
the the way the companies are run, once something gets big enough or power, you know, successful enough, boom, suddenly you're in six teams, you know. And uh, but I, I do sometimes I, think well, like think about it. Superman has pretty much been removed from the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Mm. From, yeah, in correct. terms of both new crypt, the new Krypton like year and a half, and right. then grounded. Yeah, he has been totally. pretty much removed from every single like other book apart from yep. maybe a cameo. Um, right. And even those cameos these days are really surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, th- I really think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think Superman is maybe the one character who A, should be able to appear in lots of books, but B, right. should. Like, should actually have a standing in his fictional universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't anymore. And I, I really think that's a, a shame. I think that, that shows that the character has just been misused. And I say that as someone, again, who liked the new Krypton arc as a reader. Right. But I think it left the character in a really bad place. And I think that Grounded, the way it's set up, has just completely continued that. Well, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of what we were talking about uh, last week, I think, where the whole, like, you know, Luther picking up the paper and seeing, you know, Bruce Wayne announcing Batman Inc. and kind of going, oh, I had such hopes for you, you know. It's like the idea that Superman is walking across America. If he he should be popping in, up in other books. <laughs> well, or even people talking about it in other books and people yeah. saying, like, that's not right or, oh, he's working on his issues or, you know what I mean? Like, I always liked, I, I always felt a little uncomfortable if, when Superman sort of, pops up in a way that it's like clearly this man can save the day but I always loved I mean the very first issue of Animal Man that I picked up was the issue where Buddy Baker bumps into Superman you know on a rooftop and just feels completely out of class yeah and it's just like it's just like two pages and I'm like okay this is I'm buying this book you know and I I don't know if that was issue three or issue four or something like that but it, it it was like okay this this you know that the Garth Ennis's Hitman issues like it very much is this thing of like yeah having him be like you said a, a figure of stature in the DC universe is super important and really just having people talk about that would be all that I would need it would go such a long way you know so, but again I think this is I think I even think that could be done with the Superman book and I, I think that's where it's going right now where you should have other characters pop in and be like dude are you okay Right. No, I mean, like, the fact that for Straczynski's, what, five issues, you mm-hmm. ma- like, there was a guest shot from Flash in the very first one, which showed Flash up to be terrible. Like, <laughs> did, did you read it? No. So basically, Superman's like, I'm trying to connect with humanity. And he goes, Flash, he's like, Flash, when you're running fast, do you ever think about the humanity you're missing? And Flash is like, nope. <laughs> I was like, first of all, you made Flash look like a dick. But secondly, that's completely at odds with Jeff John's characterization of the character right now. Oh, absolutely. Completely I, it, at odds. Yeah, The point exactly. where it's one of those, an editor should have stepped in and said no. Ah, uh, you know what? Jeff Johns will just point out that it was the reverse Flash in a scene in Flashpoint. <laughs> I love it right now. Anything in DC, you're like, Jeff Johns has got Flashpoint coming up. He'll take care of it. He will, I, but this is it. I mean, apart from the fact that he's fixed other stuff, I'm just kind of like, you're, you're mentioning uh, anything that you mentioned that's like about time or about Flash. I'm like, it's coming. It's, it'll be there. 
Like, I don't, I don't know about the rest of the stuff. There's probably huge holes. I don't know. You know, I honestly, I don't think they'll ever really ever have the Legion make sense, and that's fine. But, you know, whatever. I think the Legion makes as much sense right now as it's ever going to make. Sure, as long as you pretend that there weren't, like, 19 other iterations of the Legion. But that, that, that's even explained within that whole Legion of, what, three worlds? Five? The Legion of three worlds, which I didn't read, so admittedly you're right. So, so basically, and did, and basically what I forget, is, who wrote that? Was that Jeff Johns? Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, yeah, I am. Because I'm like, see, he'll fix it! I'm not worried! <laughs> I, I forget, who wrote that? So I was like, ah, your mother. <laughs> Oh, so actually, I checked my Twitter feed and I saw that I got a question that Voodoo Ben was kind enough not to include you on. Uh, did you see this? What's that? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. He's like, also, lazy bastard, if you're still taking questions, why was Kickass considered a commercial failure? Which is, I think, something that he asked uh, either on, I don't know if he asked it on Twitter or if he asked it in why, a message board. Why was Kickass considered a commercial failure? Uh, yes. Because it didn't make enough money. The- well, see. <laughs> yes. So you agree with me, right? Okay. Cause Wait, are, we talking, are we talking the comic or the film? I guess we're talking. No, the we're film. talking. We're talking the film. I called the film a commercial failure. I think when we were talking about worrying about uh, Scott Pilgrim, I think before we, the film uh, came it, out. Why did it? Why is it considered a commercial failure? Because there is a certain amount of money that a film has to make in order to be considered a success. Right. And it did not make that. It made a profit, yes, but it did not make enough of a profit for people to consider it a success. It's like um, Watchmen made a profit, mm-hmm. and and people would not consider Watchmen to be a successful film. Um, right. There's some math as to how much you actually have to make in order to consider it a success, um, but it's not enough. And the other reason that you can pretty much know it's a commercial failure is they're not doing the sequel. Right. See, these were things I was going to point out. So, uh, so I hope I hope that covers. Now, I think it's it's worth to sort of work everything in there are <laughs> I'm moving the laptop again That's the, <laughs> the reason I'm moving the laptop is because I've since moved while I'm talking but I'm now going to look up how much Kickass made I can tell you I can tell you because I did some research uh, uh, so so this is the thing Voodoo Ben uh, although there are movies like for example like Fight Club or Office Space that then go on to do tremendous amounts of money on home video and then become quite successful the traditional line of thinking is things are considered commercial failures or flops or whatever based on their initial box office run. Yeah, uh, I, I now looking at how much it made domestically, I know why Kickass is considered a failure. Exactly, Kickass <laughs> cost about thirty million dollars to make, estimated, and it grossed about forty-five, forty-nine million in the United States domestically. Now, the the depending on how you look at it, the the ways of guesstimating what the marketing costs are of the film uh, vary. Like a lot of people say, it costs about half the budget of a film now, um, but that's usually they're keeping in mind films that are more expensive. Uh, so, for example, it's quite possible that that they spent between 15 to 20 million dollars on the advertising of Kickass, the marketing of it, I honestly think that they spent more. I think because they had it for such a relatively small amount of money. Oh yeah, Kickass had the, the shit hyped out of it. And what you yeah. also got to remember is the domestic gross, I, I, the site I'm looking at right now, is 48 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the studio does not get all of that money. Right. 
That is true. That you, is you've true. Already, because... You've got to cut yeah. 30% out, out of that at least. Yeah. I, actually, probably more in the case of Kick-Ass because, as I recall, Vaughn self-funded... Yes, and then and Lion, Lionsgate. Yes, and then Lionsgate purchased the, the rights to the film. Chance right. Lionsgate did not see a profit in that film until next DVD. Yeah. So they they probably decided that they got, you know, a smaller amount of, of cash for it um, to acquire it. So they spent a huge amount of money on, on promoting the crap out of it. And that may not that may have put it in the hole until relatively recently. Now, the thing that's horrifying is I did go over and look at Scott Pilgrim by comparison. And holy shit, did Scott Pilgrim lose serious amounts of money? Oh, I'm 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 sure he did. Fucking painful. That that was one. Where... I've really not looked at the box office. I'm about to, and I think I'm going to get really, really upset, aren't I? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind oh, of a bummer. Man. Is that amazing? Oh, that's that, horrible. That yeah, is, it is the most painful thing. Oh god! Even if you add in the the um, worldwide, mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim yeah. has easily lost a fortune for Universal. Yeah, huge, huge amount. As it is, it is a a colossal bomb. It it's. Before marketing, it was sixty estimated around sixty million dollars to make. So the marketing again, you got to jump that up by about half, and then it only grossed what? Did you see thirty-one million in the United States? Thirty-one and a half, yeah, yeah. Which is which is isn't that horrible? I mean, that's that that really is like maybe the saddest number I've seen in some time. So, um, so Kickass compared to Scott Pilgrim. Uh, certainly more successful. But... Oh, Kickass is actually definitely more successful, especially if you include uh, worldwide. Worldwide, Kickass made pretty much twice as much money. Yeah, so uh, you know, it will consider it is it is you know, I, and I'm sure with strong home video sales, it is considered like a successful film. Kick, but... Yeah, Kickass is probably going to be completely fine, but it's going to be complete. It's going to be Kickass is going to end up being one of those cult films that the people who love it really really love it. It never made that much money for the, the studio. Mm-hmm. And 10 years from now, some director who grew up watching Kick-Ass is going to try and resurrect it. Right, right. But technically, it will at that point, it will have been bumped up from commercial fav- failure to cult favorite. Yes, um, if it's not already there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so there we go. I hope that answers your question, Ben. For you know, thank you for continuing to to to. Is Ben is Ben upset that you called it a failure? Uh, no, I think I think it was the thing of when we were talking on the podcast, we might have been talking around the time that it had just come out on DVD, and it came out at at the top of the DVD marketing sales mm-hmm. uh, for that week with very strong figures. And in fact, I've seen Heidi uh, on the beat refer to Kickass as a hit for that reason. Um, but I think the 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 world of Hollywood theatrical and home video releasing is still relatively complex. And as far as I can tell, Hollywood itself still uses the old rubric of the initial uh, home the the initial box office. Uh, well, what what's always worth remembering is things that become massive successes on DVDs, if mm-hmm. they get sequels, generally get DVD straight to DVD sequels. Right, and exactly. Don't get don't get released in the theater. So, Kickass's theater performance has pretty much killed a chance for a Kickass sequel. I think so, unless we're wrong and it does so well on DVD that you see Kickass two a direct to DVD sequel. Yeah, but I don't think you're going to get the, a theater sequel ever. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, like you said, also, maybe a remake way down the line. Mavon doesn't want to make it, so there's that as well. Right. Yeah, he's got he's got bigger, exier fish to fry. I did guess. Did you see what he's doing as a follow up to X Men First Class? Which, by the way, the trailer looks terrible. Yeah, I thought the trailer looked awful too. Everybody was like, "Holy cow, I'm in!" And I looked at it and I was like, "Wow." I that... honestly, I I wrote something about this for spinoff, but I honestly think it's because people expect the trailer to look worse. I honestly think it's low expectations because that was not a good trailer. But everyone's like, it doesn't look like the worst film I've ever seen. Exciting. <laughs> In. Well, I mean, it, you know, one of the things that I thought that they did that was very smart was the trailer made it seem much more like a prequel to the Brian Singer X-Men films. And looking at some of the stuff from that, I was like, oh, that kind of has a weird charm to it until everyone but James McAvoy started talking and then at that point I was like okay I, I really loved it in all the hype before the trailer like it's going to be like Mad Men with superpowers and then you see the trailer and you're like there's nothing dated about it at all oh no <laughs> like, yeah. this, this looks like an entirely contemporary generic superhero film yeah yeah really like I think maybe at one point somebody's wearing a weird hat and that's about as close as it gets yeah uh, Moira McTaggart has a really nice 60s coat on and that's pretty much it yeah, totally um, totally yeah. it's, uh, but no it's just uh, yeah 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 but no he's doing um, a movie based on Jonathan Ross's next comic as a follow up really his next comic and here's uh, the fascinating thing his next comic's called The Golden Age and has had had some attention because we've all read The Golden Age before as other comics. It's right. what happens when old retired superheroes have to come out of retirement for one last case. I've never, ever read that before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the best part was Gilson one the next day like, tweeted, if only I had thought of that with the hashtag, oh wait, I did. And then Mark Wade responded with, yes, if only Alex Ross and I had thought of that. Hashtag, oh, we did as well. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Well, John Ross's um, wife is Matthew Bond's scriptwriter, so. That that pink-haired woman? Yes. Who also did the Jane, script for Kick-Ass? Jane Goldman, yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she's yeah. Uh, she's done script for maybe all of his films. She definitely did script for Stardust as well. Oh wow! Okay, so really at that point, you just about got it all then. I think. No, nope. I was going to say Layer Cake. Layer Cake. But... I have no idea if he did script for Layer Cake. Yeah, but I I, I forget. Did, I guess Vaughn did direct that. Yeah. Okay. That was that was his okay. first film. I... Right. I think that was his first film. Sorry, is that weird because it had such a strong amount of Guy Ritchie influence and Vaughn? Exactly. Everyone's like, been... that's pretty much a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. yeah exactly. Wasn't he Guy Ritchie's um, producer? Producer. Right. That's why I got confused. I was like, oh, maybe he produced that, and then blah 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 blah. blah. It was written by J.J. Connolly, based upon a novel by J.J. Connolly, apparently. Oh, good for you, J.J. Connolly. Um. I saw that movie and don't remember a thing about it. Except I, I, think. I have not seen the movie and have absolutely no um, interest. But really, so really, looking up the IMDb page for that has reminded me I actually really do have an answer for David Brothers' question about surprises, which is the Dungeons & Dragons comic. I totally expected to hate it, and I actually kind of love it. Really? Yes. I have no, I've never played Dungeons & Dragons. I kind of hate fantasy as a genre. I love the Dungeons & Dragons comic. With an unhealthy passion. 
Wow. So it's tell me why. I really like John Rogers' writing, and I really love his TV show Leverage. And Dungeons and Dragons is Leverage if Leverage took place in a Dungeons and Dragons world. It oh is shit! I didn't. In, I didn't realize Rogers was writing it. That's great. Yeah, it's it's. Enti- I mean, literally, there's you could almost track characters from series to series. Uh, wow. But it's just it's a funny ass book. Oh, that's great. I had no idea he was doing it. If I did, I would have picked it up. I will now go. I, pick I, it. I was going to say, wait or wait for the trade because um, the first arc is almost done and it's just been great all the way through. Huh, that's and fantastic. just, just it's it also helps that like he's a very sarcastic writer. His comedy is both funny but also really snarky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know he's and it's all he has like a fight with an orc and the orc's like, no more weapons, we will fight with rock. And so like the punchline is not going to lie to you, this guy's very good with a rock. <laughs> I I will be picking this up. <laughs> Good call. I'm glad you remembered this. This is great. Um, okay, so do we keep burning through the rest of the questions and there are, daylight? There aren't that many. Let's do like another 10 minutes until 5 o'clock and then stop because I also need to go and buy some comics in order to review them for Techland. And I have, a, <laughs> I have a dog class later tonight. What? Oh, you guys are training? We're, we're going to our first training class tonight. Oh, God bless. Your neighbors will thank you. Yes, exactly. Uh, Let's see. There's lots of questions we were asked that we can't answer. For example, what do we think about Nick Spencer's comics? And I don't think we've read enough to really say. Uh, What do we think about the first wave of books? And I don't think we've read enough to really say. Right. Um, Let's see. Julian Chapman asks, what's up with Lex Luthor? (laughs) And what's up with the robot Lois? Is that a love bot or what? I definitely thought so, didn't you? Yeah, I well, I think there's been quite clear um, implications that uh, there's definitely some rumpy pumpy going on. But it's it's I I like that you called it love up because I think what's more important and I think it's been made more explicit is that Lois is there to be a partner. Lois is there to challenge him. Lois is not there to do whatever you like and then take your clothes off. Lois is there to remind him, basically stop him being a dick. Um, right. And he's been very explicit about that in the text. So she's not just a love bot. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. there. She's she's a, a girlfriend bot. Yes, a girlfriend bot. Exactly. Uh, yeah, a partner bot. Which, you know, Lex being the control freak that he is, couldn't really have one of those without being able to have an off switch I think <laughs> but it's also I mean, are you reading in, uh, action or are you, have you just been dropping in and out dropping in and out but that more from you know just my inability to get it together and officially put it on my pull list than anything um, because it's it's been really early on it's established that Lex is not himself and he knows he's not himself enough mm-hmm. to, to put in a Lois who is going to remind him of this stuff Oh, okay. So, so yeah, so that really, was too it, early for me. Yeah, it really is like she's there to keep track of him. Mm-hmm. But it's not that he would switch this off switch, but it's that he built... He only has this because he can't keep track of himself. Oh, interesting. So, so. why is it Robo-Lois then? I mean, you know, so that he can also have sex with it? I don't know. I, I'm no, like... because I think Lois is like the, the one... I, I think... And this is me totally being like, well, it's legs. I I totally think this is like the one person he respects. Yeah, I think so too. 
Well, sort of. I mean, but yes. Well, as far as he respects anyone. Exactly. Right. And I saw that someone asked about why Clem Robbins doesn't get more love. And yes, I'm like, yes. yes. Rachel Anderson. Um, I am going to admit that of the various letters, letterers in comics, Clem is not one of my favorite. Mm. I, I, I find, I, I, I like his work, but there's actually something, and this is so wanky and ridiculous, there's something I find weirdly off-putting about his penmanship. Hmm. I, I, what does, I can't explain it. What does he do regularly? Because I was like, Clem Robbins. Laser, I think. It could be wrong. Uh-huh. Um, I, I remember from a lot of vertical books in the 90s, more than anything. I can't think what he's doing now. He might actually be doing um, Hellboy. Oh, interesting. I have to say, my, my, I don't, I wish I could say that I parsed letters like half as closely as I did, you know, writers and artists, even inkers, uh, which I didn't track nearly as closely, um, or for that matter, old school colorists. But I'm, I'm like, uh, oh, like seriously, oh, no if it's, one. <laughs> if, it, like, if I it's just not, don't track letters at all. I, I, well, no, I mean, person. if it's, well, the, the, the thing is, is at least back for a period uh, when I was following comics, if it wasn't Tom Morzakowski, it was John Workman, and if it wasn't either of them, who cared? You know what I mean? Oh, like, John, and, and... John Costanza. Oh, yeah, I guess John Costanza. You know, it's funny. Wasn't John Costanza sort of a letterer slash... Oh, no, I'm thinking of another guy. Yeah, no, John Costanza. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, uh, the lettering, like, has always popped up for me. I'm... Mm. Lettering that I can tell you that while I think that Comic Craft lettering is great, Richard Starkin's hand lettering does not work for me. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm really close, but for some reason one works for me and one doesn't, and I honestly think it's the space between the characters. That is how anal I can be about lettering. I'm impressed. Check you out. I'm like, yeah, no, for me it just sort of flies. Or Todd Klein, come on. Um, Oh, yeah, no, Todd Klein, absolutely. Although, again, Todd Klein, I love him for his logo work like oh uh, yes, yes, yes you know what i mean so i mean his his lettering stuff is great on his, on the abc books was was fantastic but yeah another one that um like i said i don't i don't track them as close and and given a choice between looking at clients like logo work as opposed to his lettering i would go the other way but, so. but clan robbins i i like i guess i'm just not i don't know I, he he's not honestly up there for me Sorry, Rachel. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? We got. We we must have one or two more. Uh, let's see. I'm trying not to be disturbed by the current Twitter things that are appearing. Oh, really? About to you or generally? Not in general. Um, uh, Jill Panatosi came up with this, I think, sweet idea, uh, which is basically... Everyone is outpouring all this love to Dwayne McDuffie now, but no one to know Pally was alive. And we should basically value creators while they're around and not just wait until they're dead to say, these are the most important people in my life ever. Uh, and it is now, for some reason, Twitter has been hijacked by Tom Freeford's retweeting everyone um, talking about Gene Colin, which would be sweet if the hashtag wasn't while they live. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. It's to God. It's like we're expecting you to die every day now. I mean, seriously. Well, uh, okay. See, this is the thing. I thought that that was Tom Brevoort's idea. Like, I saw last night oh, was Tom Brevoort. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe it was. I just saw uh, Jill talking about it today. 
Oh, okay. So I saw it last night where Brevort was like, starting tomorrow, I'm going to start a sequence of talking about great people while they're still alive. And he's like, I'm going to, and he's, and he even announced the hashtag, you know, while they live. Which is just, that's, that's. See, it's a terrible hashtag. It really, it really is. It's like, hashtag the, the mark of death is upon you. You know, it really was like, ooh. So yeah, I, you, I actually can't find any more questions, by the way. But um, oh, because I, I saw I, one from Nave, Adam Nave. Oh wait, that's way, way, way back at the start, isn't it? He was like the first person to ask, which is why I didn't say. It, it's, it's... What is your guilty fave comic-related, but not comic, cartoon, toy, movie, etc. thing, and why? Uh, uh, I'm tempted to see the first couple of seasons of Batman: Brave and the Bold, uh, uh, which are mm-hmm. just wonderful especially when they did the Kirby stuff um I intend to say Transformers the original toys mm-hmm. uh, and I was actually watching The Hub which is like the Disney Hasbro channel um has been rerunning the the original Transformers cartoons mm. uh which I watch and then sort of feel really bad that as a child I liked them because they were really bad um yeah. uh, what else I don't know I don't know what about you well, okay, I don't know. It's a it's a good as a, question. As a kid, I was really into GI Joes as a toy. Right, uh, right. See, so this is my kind of thing. They cause... weren't called GI Joe in Britain. Oh, they of course they weren't. They were called Action Force. Ah, that's kind of awesome. That is totally awesome. In fact, you could probably this is the way synergy works. You could probably pitch Action Force as GI Joe's next enemy in the upcoming like IDW comic. Oh no, Cobra sting around, my friend. There's like a, an all new Cobra series starting. Says oh, says right. he was going through the previews because it's preview week. Ah, so you know because this yeah. is all that post death of Cobra yes, Commander. Yes, blah, yes. Blah, blah. Also, sure. talking about previews week, every month, um, dear listeners. I write up the new releases for the Onomatopoeia newsletter that comes out from Comics Experience. Every month, without fail, whatever enthusiasm I have for doing it dies when I'm doing the Marvel movie. <laughs> I, I am not even joking. Every single month, I might be able to keep it going while, while doing like the actual Marvel new releases. When I do their collections, however, every single month, without fail, yeah. I lose the will to live. Yeah. Because there are so fucking many of them. There's nine million of them. You have to come up with something to say and summarize them, and they just don't fucking end. And and in the case of Marvel, you actually have to say something, like half of them you want to describe as, why are they reprinting this? I have no idea. I suspect they don't either. Yes, you know? exactly. Case in point, the Rocket Raccoon hardcover. <laughs> Case in point number two, Marvel Zombies Christmas Carol. That's a five-part uh, miniseries, Jeff. What? <laughs> Set in the Marvel Zombies universe? I have no idea. I don't think so. Maybe? I don't know. Um, also, something that is incredibly annoying that Marvel started doing, mm-hmm. the information they release to retailers mm. and to the press, which is the list I work off of, because it comes out first, has, for the last two months, had books missing that they will then release after the fact. What? Oh, that's terrible. So like, month, they example, don't put in the official solicits, yeah. but are in the... So this oh, month, God. for example, 
the official solicits that were released had no X-Men books in them. Or they had like maybe two. Oh, fucking hell. I then get from Diamond the actual PDF of catalog and it's uh -huh. all in there. So they're obviously right. just keeping it quiet for like a week. Right. So I can tell you right now, and I might be spoiling something depending on when Jeff puts this podcast up, but everyone who's wondering what's happening to um, the New Mutants, it's continuing and getting a new creative team with issue 25. <laughs> and I'm really tempted to say who the creative team is, but I might genuinely spoil it and get you and me and Brian into trouble in case Marvel doesn't announce this. Oh, that is true. That is probably true. Uh, uh, yes, it's continuing. Uh, yeah, there, there's all of this shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that 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 is... I have to say, how long have you been doing the newsletter now for? Three, four years. Oh, okay. All right, I'm like, hey, um, I think five? you're still behind. At some point, you're going to like... Yeah, see, it must be closer to... It's got to be coming up on five, because I want to say I left Comics Experience in like... 2006? Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, I, I know that's nothing that the listeners really need to care about per se, but I'm like, I think Graham's actually coming up on or has on, already passed the number of issues that I've done. Yeah, which really I have to say, like, as much as I dearly cherish your friendship, I may have to kill you before that happens <laughs> because I'm convinced no one can actually do that many issues of Onomatopoeia and stay sane. Like, it has to be said, the fact that I'm no longer doing the, the essays at the front. Oh, so much easier, it I bet. Makes makes my life a lot easier. Yeah. Although, as you yeah. said, I also really miss doing the essays at the front. Mm -hmm. Really mm -hmm. missing. But um, in terms of time, yeah. Mm -hmm. It literally cuts like the time I'm spending on it in half. Oh, yeah, at least. I mean, because, of course, when you when we came on and it was a Lester McMillan joint, I was totally like, oh, great. Hibbs will get Graham in, and Graham can do the essay in the front, and I'll do the new comics. And then that didn't happen, and I was like, oh, no. Exactly, what the fuck? <laughs> I've been doing this for years. I can't keep coming up with stuff. Yeah, so that was... Uh, but at some point, good. we have to get your essays on there, because they're spectacular. They have to go online. I think I think we should put them both. Up. I think we should put them both up. Frankly, I think we should do some oh, sort of print-on-demand book. My are all up online. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I through through. Up, I am Graham McMillan. Yeah, I put them all up on my website. Oh my god! Well, that's you should Actually, publicize that's that more because they're all great. All but one up. On the <gasps> really? Yes. Which one have you not put up? The one about. Uh, my convention experience because it says something that I'm happy to like go out and print in San Francisco and something that's going to disappear but not willing to go online. Ooh. About certain um, editor-in-chiefs who might have had certain conversations with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that's sort of vague but not really vague. Like, I... I, well, I you, know, you know, you see, do you know what I mean? Like, I know, exactly. They're exactly. going to be like, oh, but like, you know. Exactly. It's like the, the the head of Avatar threatened to, like William Christensen threatened to cock punch Graham. Um, I'll have to like redact that part out. <laughs> no, <sonically. he> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Oh, I, here is a random Marvel um, collection solicitation that I am like, I guess someone demanded it. But then the more I started thinking about it, the more I actually want to buy it. They're reprinting the original Captain Britain series. Oh, wow, really? In a hardcover. Never before come out in America. Wow. Wow, like, like all of them? It's like, yeah, it's like 376 pages. 
Man, that'd be kind of so interesting. That, that is fun. The best part is um, the typo from the press list has actually made it into the final previews catalog. And so Gary Giedrich wrote some of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chris Claremont, Larry Lieber, Len Wein, mm-hmm. Jim Lawrence, uh, Gary Friedrich, Herb Trimpey, John Fusema, mm-hmm. Ron Wilson. Wow. From like 76. So I mean, it's like they're like early stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, I love I love the original Captain Britain uniform too. The the outfit where his mask Goliath, is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of always dug that. When they changed it to sort of a more generic kind of like I mean it it works cuz it's Alan Davis or whatever, but I was kind of like ah. Oh, another like another that. thing they're collecting that is like because someone demanded it. Fallen Angels. What? From the 80s? Yep. Like the, was that Anne Nascenti? No, no, Joe Duffy. No. Also, Joe Duffy, right. It's a hardcover. <gasps> See, they've got to stop. They've got to stop this weird hardcover bullshit for, thing. For, it's for $30. Also, oh my God. Trouble gets reissued in the hardcover. Wait, what? Trouble? The, the Mark Miller, yes. like, hey, yep. who's yep. banging May Parker now book? Yep. Oh no! Mm-hmm. I thought the smartest thing they ever did was never collecting that. That that got collected. Did it get collected did in it, a trade? Did you look at the I don't think it did because they were like, "This is going to be the biggest thing ever." True believers. Oh, and right. it, it never did. It never did. Collect, it never did. It? I don't think. Yeah. So. Also, um, Death of Dracula is a collection of putting out, which I love because they're like Death of Dracula, written by Victor Gishler, and it's like there's the one shot that he did, and. Right. Six issues of Mark Wolfman's Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing that's crazy is, like, I know a lot of people thought that the, you know, Doctor St- the death of Dracula, the Doctor Strange issues where he kills him, like, I want to say, was that Roger Stern or whatever? Yeah, yeah, where but- he finally... Yeah, like, that was kind of like, people were like, that was a major thing, in part because it kind of stuck, you know, for a while. But what I love about this Death of Dracula collection is Dracula literally is already back. Yeah, I know. I mean, it it couldn't be more hollow. Like, even for Dracula, king of the I'm dead, now I'm back alive again. Like, seriously, guys. Like, I just, I yeah, I really have no idea why this stuff is being published other than they have some sort of weird, bizarro market for it. Um, I just find it innately traumatizing at this point. Which is why I don't I don't follow comics that are coming out very much at all, and I I really should. It's like you know, and I don't retain it. It's like I'll read your stuff, look for the jokes, laugh, and then like not pay attention, <laughs> and then I'm the like, best way to do it. Agreed. Until I find out that I'm missing out on something like John Rogers writing a Dungeons and Dragons comic, which really the son of a bitch should have at least mentioned on his fucking website for Christ's sakes. Uh, I believe he did. I did he? Yeah. I didn't. I believe he, he talked it up when it came out. Fucking shit. I hope not. Also, I've been, I've here, been following here's it. proof that you don't pay attention to anything online. I actually had an essay for that on Robot 6 that then got like put on the front page of CBR and was then, I want to say, like, retweeted for like two days, horrifically embarrassingly, by IDW. Really? Yes. Oh, jeez. Well, so you're not paying attention uh, to any of us. I'm not. Well, I mean... I, Honestly, if you would post links instead of IDW posting links to your... I know it would take up half your time, but I would click through. I, I, I totally... I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm 
totally not going to do that. Yeah, see, that's what I'm like. Okay, he's got this thing about Game of Thrones and Underground New York and Irrational Fears. That's from November, uh, which is about rides. <laughs> and Yeah, he's got reruns. He's got questions about leverage, the Senate. Like, dude, how far do I have to go back? I'm all the, I'm back in December 2010. Like, I, I'm... I don't yeah, know. but the series has been coming out for quite some time, so... Apparently it has, huh? Well, well it's, it's an issue for now. It's, it must have started in November. And there was a zero issue before that, so, I mean... It's like four or five months old. Dude, I, all right. I did well, not know you are such a big John Rogers fan. You know, I started following his website. I dig his website a lot. I like his taste generally. Um, you know, do, do you like Leverage? I was not able to watch Leverage because it was kept off. In fact, it might still be off most of the. I would ha- now that I have a Netflix plan, I can get the discs. But our video store wasn't carrying it, and it wasn't on any online stuff because TNT was keeping it tied up. I, so. I definitely, definitely used to be on Netflix Instant. It was not on Netflix Instant anymore. Yeah, I think it was on there and then left or something. So, I don't know. Hey, did you see this whole thing with Amazon Prime streaming? Nobody's interested yes. in this, by the way. No one, no one is, but um, they probably should be. Well, I, I kind of, I'm like, hey, Soylent Green. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I spent hours looking through trying to find stuff that Amazon Prime streaming had that Netflix didn't. And I just couldn't find anything. <laughs> Unless you're interested in watching every season of Mr. Rogers or 19 seasons of Mr. Rogers, which... For some reason, people know. wear. I, I've never, ever seen Mr. Rogers, so I don't understand. Oh, really? Oh, my God, Graham. At this point, I honestly feel like we've stopped doing the recording part. We're just talking. We, we need to stop. Like, we need uh, to stop have, talking. Have we finished the recording part? Are we just talking now? I have no idea. Who can tell? I can't tell. We're still, we should do a 24-hour talkathon. <laughs>